Well, if you've been following the discussion around medical assistance in dying in this country, you know that there has been rumblings for a while now that eventually medical assistance in dying would expand to mature minors. Well, this past week, the Special Joint Parliamentary Committee on MAID recommended just that. I'm joined by John Sikma, constitutional lawyer with the Association for Reformed Political Action, ARPA Canada. John, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, are you surprised by this? I'm not, not entirely surprised. No, the government, the current government supports expanding MAID. Um, I am disappointed, though. I think there's a number of concerns with the existing law, which does not allow MAID for minors. And those haven't even been adequately addressed. And so the, you know, the thrust of the committee report saying we need to expand this further uh, is, is disappointing and I think missing a lot of the problems. I think you're right. I think, you know, when we even the fact that they are um, wanting to take some time to reevaluate or think through uh, expanding medical assistance and dying for people with mental illness shows that there are still some concerns on the table, concerns that have been uh, voiced by groups like yours uh, from the get-go when uh, this was passed uh, a number of years ago. Let's talk about some of the concerns that ARPA has specifically with this new recommendation uh, around mature minors. Uh, what are some of those concerns? Yeah, I mean, one is just the the message that it sends to a, a minor, to a child, when euthanasia is put on the table, when MAID is put on the table. So what is what is the message there? We think that the, the message that's being sent implicitly is that we are giving up on you. We are ready to accept your death if, if you think the time is right. Um, maybe it sends an implicit message that you've become too great a burden. Um, and so if, if a minor does decide that they want to end their life, right, that's inevitably going to be influenced by the implicit message society is sending by offering made in the first place, right? So you're putting this difficult decision on a child who is sick and vulnerable to decide when is the right time for you to end your life? Yeah. I, um, as you know, I uh, host a, a television show and I remember uh, a mother reaching out to me, her 19-year-old, I believe, son who has uh, type 1 diabetes um, had applied and was accepted for medical assistance in dying. And she didn't find out, I think she just found out by accident uh, days before he was actually supposed to die and was, of course, scared, worried. You know, I mean, the fact that there are millions of people around the world that live thriving lives with type 1 diabetes, and yet he was able to access made. Now, obviously not a minor, um, but lived in her house, and yet this was happening to her child and yet didn't know. Talk to me about just the effects that this could have on family and the worry that maybe parents will have in this provision, potentially. And again, this is just a, re a recommendation right now, but all of us have seen this on the horizon. We've all seen that the next step would be mature minors. And, and how this, um, talk to me about just the implications for parents as well, who might disagree with their child on the decision to uh, die by medical assistance. Yeah, so first let me um, clarify where the committee was on that, the majority report of the committee, which was 
that parents should be consulted, but ultimately that the decision should lie with the the child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think you know this is. This but that's a concern. This. I mean, as a parent, sorry, John, for cutting you yeah. off. But that's a concern as a parent, right, of two kids to to you know know that I'm going to be consulted, but at the end of the day, my child has the final say. That that's a real concern because if you are in a, a situation. Uh, of uh, distress, then all you're seeing is, I need to die now. You're not seeing, as you said, the value of life and and maybe uh, having an objective perspective. And maybe that parents can offer that objective perspective. No, that's right. I mean, the the Council of Canadian Academies had uh, an expert panel report on the issue of mature minors. Um, They noted that decisions with increased risk or complexity, medical decisions with greater complexity, raise greater concern over the ability of minors to make those decisions. Well, obviously, there's no weightier decision and no more final decision than the decision to end one's life, right? And a minor is not, uh, both in terms of life experience and even brain development, um, this is, you know, to put this decision on in front of them when they are already vulnerable and, and struggling. We think it's far better to assure a sick child that we will be there for, for her, we'll give her the best care possible for as long as she lives, uh, than, than to burden her with that decision of, of deciding when she should end her life, when she's had enough or when she thinks she's um, too big a burden. And, and also in your uh, ARPA's response as well, um, classifying that, you know, this mature minor doctrine should not be uh, a decision based on health care, um, this is you, you say this is not just another healthcare decision. It is a decision to end all decisions. Um, talk to me about how people might see this or want to caveat or put it in the category of healthcare instead of maybe advocating for this person, getting this person the treatment that they need, the services that they need. Yeah. Well, this is euthanasia or made is now part of our healthcare service system, but most doctors don't want to provide it. Um, there are certain fields of medicine, uh, psychiatry and um, palliative care, for example, that raise concerns about it. Palliative care doctors are, are keen to point out that it's not part of palliative care, which is all about helping someone to live well with an illness or, or even live well while they're dying. Um, so, you know, what's, what's unique about Made, uh, even though some people insist, you know, it's, it's just another healthcare service. It should be offered as an option, a medical option to those who are eligible. Uh, is you know, this is regulated by the criminal code. No, no other um, so-called healthcare uh, service is regulated by the criminal code because unless it's a doctor doing it for someone who is eligible, this would this would be illegal. This would be a serious crime, right? And so it's a it's um of a fine line there and obviously this is a healthcare service if you will or a service to end healthcare services this is when you say i'm done getting care i'm done getting pain management i'm done with life uh, and so it's a, it's a fundamentally different kind of service and decision i uh, i remember interviewing uh, a young woman who had struggled with uh, mental illness and you know at the height of her struggles um, thought of dying by suicide. And you know, in talking to her about medical assistance and dying, she said what she needed to hear in that moment of her deepest despair is that her vi- is that her life mattered, that she mattered and it was worth fighting for. And she feels very 
very strongly that that's what people need to hear in their darkest time is that um, they are worth something. Let I have two minutes left, John. I just really want to quickly, because you do have uh, a response to the uh, recommendation that the committee has given about advance requests as well. And that's essentially saying that Canadians could request medical assistance in dying in advance of them getting sick. Um, and so that, you know, that would then take into effect if they're not able to verbally say that they are choosing medical assistance in dying. Really quickly, what are some of your concerns with that? Yeah, I mean, an, an advance request um, essentially ignores the possibility that a person's wishes or desires might change in the future, right? Um, once they are in a, a condition that they haven't experienced before, right? So advanced dementia tends to be the, the, the one that comes up the most. So if you have a dementia diagnosis, you're afraid of what life is going to be like as you kind of lose more mental capacity. Um, it's possible that you know once you are in a state of further decline, you might actually not want to die. You could have difficulty communicating that, um, and you've already basically given uh, a request that your life be ended when you reach that state. Um, and as one um, clinical professor of, of palliative medicine told the committee, um, the, the literature on this is, is that people, this, the scientific research is that people are very poor at anticipating what life will be like with a life-changing illness or disability. And they tend to think that the future will be worse than it turns out to be. And so, you know, based on your present fear of a future condition, a future situation, you may essentially sign your life away. And we can't, you know, once you've lost capacity um, to, to make those decisions later on, you're basically bound by your previous decision. And so that raises very serious uh, ethical concerns, of course, uh, and practical concerns as well. All right. All uh, thoughts that we need to think about as we are moving in this direction in our country. Thanks again, John, for your time today. Thank you. That was John Sigma, constitu constitutional lawyer with the Association for Reformed Political Action, ARPA Canada. You are listening to Toronto this weekend. Wow, do we have a lot um, in this country to grapple with and think about. The value of life is one of them.